Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. We're foregoing our usual format this week because it's time to kick off the 2022 CFL season. Instead, let's go coast to coast, west to east, asking and trying to answer one key question facing each franchise, starting on the left coast. Out here in Vancouver, the BC Lions have made surprisingly few changes to their offense after a difficult season a year ago. The one big change, the man under center is now Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke. Can the youngster be good enough to elevate the rest of their roster? Of course, man. How is this even a question? Canadian quarterback, bias aside, this dude looked legit in his first, technically second, I guess, CFL started at the end of last year because he started that first game of the season unexpectedly with the weirdness that went on with Michael Riley. But he has all the makings in my mind, to potentially be a franchise quarterback. If he was American, I feel like there'd be less questions there. Sure, he does actually have a lot of questions. Can he carry the weight of a franchise? He was born in Victoria. They've hyped him up in the offseason, and I think he can handle it, but he needs to prove that on the field, game in, game out, because it's different starting two games, especially one at the start and one at the end of the regular season. But when defenses are scheming for you all season long, that's something that Rourke will need to prove that he can get through. To me, I think it comes down to the way in which BC is going to use Nathan Rourke. If Nathan Rourke is asked to stand back in the pocket and do a five, seven step drop, right? Like a Bo Levi Mitchell, like a McLeod Bethel Thompson, he is going to be set up for failure. However, if BC can put him in a situation where he can use play action, run RPO, move the pocket, bootleg, read half the field, right? Do all of those things to make make the, the most value out of his because he's got amazing athleticism. He can really use his legs well. He can really run well. If you can maximize that ability that he brings that I think is not unique to the CFL, but but is certainly something you could take advantage of in the CFL. I think he's going to have a very nice season in BC, and he's going to be my pick to win MOC this year, Most Outstanding Canadian. I don't think he has to even be particularly exceptional to take home that MOC trophy. Simply being the first Canadian quarterback to be a legitimate starter in the league will be enough to sway the voters in that category. But I think you touched on an important point there, Hodge, in how he's going to be used. And more so than just allowing Rourke to work his skill set and be comfortable, it matters because of their offensive line. I still have real questions about that group. And while they took steps forward last year, in my mind, compared to a disastrous 2019 season, I think they've actually regressed a little bit heading into this season. The only change that they make is let Hunter Stewart, who I thought was their best offensive lineman a year ago, walk out the door and have replaced him with Philip Norman, a guy who has not played guard at the CFL level, that's a major concern for me. And if you're asking an inexperienced quarterback to stand back there under pressure behind a below average offensive line unit, that is not a recipe for success. And that's part of the reason why I feel like Rick Campbell and Neil McAvoy are on the hot seat here. Not improving the offensive line could cost these guys their jobs. And we got to remember, there's a new, there is a new owner in Amar Doman, and he didn't pick these guys. He inherited them when he bought the team. So it was surprising to see the Lions come at 
near the bottom in terms of that salary cap piece that JD did such a great job in putting together in terms of dollars spent and not invest more on the offensive line. Like, why not put $200,000 plus in front of Stanley Bryant, see if you can get him to BC? Heck, give him the Kenny Baller offer, $300,000. Left tackle in this league is way more valuable than a receiver. Yeah, and, and I'll say this too. The other issue that I think is facing Nathan Work is they do not have a dominant running back there, right? James Butler is fine. He's adequate, but it's not like he's a William Standback, a Kadeem Carey, an Andrew Harris. I had, I've yet to see evidence that he's that dynamic. And I also think that that's something that that Nathan Rourke will have to use to his advantage again with the RPO with the play action is trying to open up those rushing lanes because we know the offensive line is probably not going to do it on its own. It's got to be scheme. It's got to be play calling and reading the defense correctly. Moving on to the Calgary Stampeders. There's questions once again about star quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell coming off two seasons where he's been plagued by injury. He says he's the healthiest he's ever been, but a rough preseason outing has people concerned. How long a leash does Bo Levi Mitchell have in Calgary? It's such a cliche thing to say during training camp. Every athlete, I think, pretty much says, yeah, this is the healthiest I've ever been, even though Bo Levi Mitchell has had a broken leg, had his shoulder pretty much ripped off, and then they've been trying to put back together for multiple years. So I get in this sense what he's saying, that maybe he's the healthiest over the last couple of seasons that were actually played, but we've seen Bo Levi Mitchell in his prime, and I hate even thinking about it, but it's a long shot for him to get back there. I still think he can be really good. And we got to remember, this team was still 8-6 and six with him suffering that broken leg, trying to play on it. And then, of course, Jake Mayer came in and did so well for them that they re-signed and had that great insurance policy behind Bo Levi Mitchell. So I think that's why the Stamps are fortunate. If Mitchell falters, they can go to Mayer. And he's... To be quite honest, a lot of people don't want to say it, but outplayed Bolivar Mitchell last season and already in the preseason. For what it's worth, I think Mitchell can play well. He's been somewhat honest about his thoughts in the offseason about possibly retiring. That's why I want to take him at his word when he says he feels the best he's ever felt. But I just don't think that's possible. I think it's the best he's felt in the last couple of years or seasons. Yeah, let's get it. Let's 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 be honest here. A pro football player could have their leg amputated and they'd still say they feel the best (laughs) they've ever felt in their entire career. And I'm not calling Bo Levi Mitchell a liar. I'm just saying I don't put a lot of stock into him saying that the proof has to be in the pudding. He threw three completions and two picks in the preseason. That was not a strong performance. And while if this been a year ago, right? If this was Bolivar Mitchell coming off like an MLP caliber season or a Grey Cup, nobody cares that he doesn't play well in the preseason. This year it mattered because as far as I'm concerned, after a terrible showing in the 2019 playoffs, after a poor showing last season, yes, largely due to injury, Bo does not deserve the benefit of the doubt like he did two years ago, like he even did one year ago. At this point in time, Jake Mayer has outplayed him consistently for last year, and Jake Mayer was the better quarterback 
in the regular season. Am I suggesting that Jake Mayer should be Calgary's starter in week one? No. Bo Levi Mitchell still deserves that opportunity to be the game one starter, but I think it's also reasonable to say that Bo Levi Mitchell should not get a long leash. He should be on a relatively short leash because Jake Mayer is the future of this team, and I think that's becoming increasingly clear to people, not just in Calgary, but outside of Calgary across the country. It'll be interesting to see when Dave Dickinson begins to go through that decision process. Like how many games of below average play would Bo Levi Mitchell have to put together before you make that transition to Jake Meyer, right? I think if it was any other quarterback, you'd say, okay, one or two stinkers and all of a sudden you're looking at the next guy. But Bo Levi Mitchell, I think we do have to give him credit. This is a first ballot future Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the greatest to ever play in our league, he deserves some benefit of the doubt early in the season. But where is that mark where it becomes untenable as a football team to stick with the existing guy, even if he has been the face of your franchise? Is that week four? Is that week six? Is that week eight? It'll be interesting to see where Dave Dickinson begins to go through the process of that quarterback controversy if Bo Levi Mitchell struggles, and that's a big if, of course, I don't want to say he's absolutely going to do that. There is a chance that he comes out and he has a, a rejuvenated season. But I look at that Calgary roster and Reggie Begleton's going to cover a lot of the mistakes early on because of how talented he is. But if he or Kamar Jordan gets hurt at any point this year, I just don't see a lot of weapons in the passing game for the Stampeders. That's why Kadeem Carey could be the key to this Calgary Stampeders team. That's really when they went on that mini heater that Dickinson wanted to see late last season that got them in the playoffs was when Carey was toting the rock and really carrying the bulk of the load on offense, which seems weird to say with Mitchell at quarterback, but that's the case. I do think, as you kind of alluded to, JC, a full season of Reggie Bagleton will certainly help out this offense and make it more dynamic. But as you said, either one of those guys gets hurt, then they're back in that situation where it's a bunch of no names coming into the lineup that Mitchell or potentially Mayer is trying to deal with in terms of developing a quick rapport. So if those two guys stay healthy and carry can back up what he did in 2021, that will certainly help Mitchell or Mayer if he's in there. To be honest, what I'm most intrigued about with this Calgary team as a whole, and yeah, obviously Mitchell is the key one, but is to see how Cam Judge plays because he was a ratio breaker for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Toronto Argonauts didn't necessarily use him properly, and I bet Brett Monson, the defensive coordinator, is just loving having a guy with his athletic ability as a Canadian on his defense. I think that can be a game changer for the defense that, to be honest, was pretty good already that this Stamps team will be a force to be reckoned with on defense, which again will help out Mitchell or Mayer. Staying in the province of Alberta, it's a big year for change It for the Edmonton Elks. we got a new president and a new general manager and head coach, or an old one, in Chris Jones returning to the fold. But the big question here is under center. It looks like Nick Arbuckle is going to make the, spark, the start for them in week one, despite the fact that they spent all season, all offseason, trying to get rid of him. But there are three other quarterbacks on their active roster currently. How many of them are going to start games for the Edmonton Elks this year? 
Well, it's a guy that I would like to see start certainly is Trey Ford, but might not happen until later in the season. It does seem like even though they tried to trade him for most of the offseason and Jones didn't want to admit it when we asked him directly that Arbuckle is going to be the guy in week one. That makes sense just from a competitive perspective. He knows the offense. He's been with Stephen McAdoo and Jarius Jackson in Toronto. So you get him going, but they do like Taylor Cornelius. And I think there's a real possibility that Ford starts multiple games because of his athleticism, his ability to be dynamic, and how quickly I think Ford will be able to pick up the pro speed. And Ford is one of those rare prospects that's pretty honest, and he's just so calm, and you guys are around him at the Combine as well, that he said when he went down to NFL rookie camp with Baltimore Ravens that he didn't really feel outclassed and the speed wasn't too much for him. So if the NFL speed isn't on a smaller field, then I think he can pick up the CFL game. Is it crazy to predict a rookie Canadian quarterback could come in and make an impact? Probably yes, but I think Ford, we can see start games, and it was just one season ago when Jake Mayer, he's an American, and it really shouldn't matter your passport, came in and made an impact for the Calgary Stampeders. So Ford, I could see him doing that later in the season as they move away from Arbuckle, specifically because Chris Jones invested a first-round pick in. Yeah, but if I was setting a betting line for this, I think my betting line would be 2.5 and I'd be hitting the over. I think we're going to see lots of different players start games at quarterback for the Edmonton Elks this season. Chris Jones has never shied away from from making changes at that very important position. I'm happy for Nick Arbuckle and I think I think we need to take a moment and and, and commend Nick Arbuckle. It certainly appears as though he's going to win the starting job. I was at Edmonton's first preseason game when he played he was excellent against Winnipeg's vaunted defense that was mostly starters he missed the second preseason game due to injury and none of the quarterbacks played that well in that game Chris Jones was very vocal in his dissatisfaction with his team after that second preseason game against Calgary so to me I think Nick Arbuckle will start the season but I also think that we're going to see Taylor Cornelius and I think we're going to see Trey Ford get starts down the line late in the year, whether it's due to injury or whether it's due to Chris Jones, simply doing Chris Jones things. You talk about how critical Chris Jones was of his team after that preseason loss and in the second game, there was one guy he wasn't critical of. And that's the only quarterback we haven't mentioned at this point, Kai Loxley out of UTEP. And I'm not sure if I see him as a CFL starter, but I think he's going to be on the field a lot for the Elks because he's sort of that versatile weapon that Chris Jones covets. He may be the one, instead of Trey Ford running the short yardage team, he'll contribute on special teams. He can flex out and play wide receiver as he did in that preseason game while also being the best quarterback on the field. So this is a guy that's sort of flown under the radar because we've been talking about Cornelius or Arbuckle and then JT Barrett was in the mix and then they drafted Trey Ford. No one talked about Loxley. All of a sudden, I think he's a guy who's going to play certainly for, for most of the season. Yeah, we've got to remember Cardell Jones was in Edmonton for about the length of time. And I hate this cliche, but had a cup of coffee and then he was gone. <laughs> they thought he was going to be the guy that could have stepped in there for JT Parrott, who they were hyping up. So, Hodge, you said that line at two and a half. I think that's a great spot, but I'd take the over. Moving on to the prairies where I live, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are entering the season with Cody Fajardo as their undisputed starting quarterback, of course. To me, you know, Dunk talked about BC. You know, I have an insider's column today with Kahari Jones potentially being on the hot seat. 
But I don't think there's anybody in the league facing more pressure in 2022 than Cody Fajardo. He's got the weight of Ryder Nation on his shoulders. Plus, he's got the first home Grey Cup in Regina since 2013, which, if memory serves correct, Saskatchewan won that championship. I think we all know the green and white faithful are expecting a home Grey Cup victory. My question is, can Cody Fajardo handle the pressure that he is going to face this season in Ryderville? I believe he can. I mean, we've talked about Kogi Fajardo and some of his issues with social media criticism before, but I think when it comes down to it on the field, he's going to be able to manage. And I think the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have a roster around him that could maximize his ability. I mean, they haven't made huge changes on the offensive line. I know that was a concern for fans a year ago, but I don't actually hate that unit. And I think that another year with Logan Furland in the mix, will help the chemistry and and help that group improve. But the receiving core, to me, really shines here. Duke Williams, you've got uh, Keon Schaefer-Baker, who I think is about to become one of the most, uh, the marquee Canadian receiving star in this league this year. I think that is what he becomes this year. Shaq Evans is back, can have a bounce-back season. Kyron Moore is currently hurt, but he'll be on the roster as well. Just Logan across. Uh, the entire receiving car with both Americans and Canadians. To me, that's a recipe for success. If you're a quarterback like Kogi Fajardo. There is lots of weapons on offense, but Fajardo to me showed last season that maybe he's not ready to deal with the pressure. And I like athletes being open. It is certainly something that we all want to see as members of the media and even fans to be quite honest, but I felt like he was too up and down, especially being bothered by the social media comments. Now, I understand that, you know, we want a society where we're all there for each other and picking each other up, but this is pro football. Those dudes are going to be coming for your head every game. And if they know that you're bothered by social media comments, imagine what they're saying to this dude on the field just to try to get him off his game a little bit. Now, I think he can handle the pressure because of his time at the University of Nevada. He played in big-time games there, bowl games and the rivalry game with UNLV. So he knows what it's like to be on that type of a stage. But to me, this is a whole different type of pressure because, as Hodge alluded to, Ryder Nation is expecting the Riders to win the Grey Cup because they did it in 2013. It's not that easy. But that's what they're expecting. So the pressure is immense. And Fajardo's need to going to mature in front of our eyes if he's going to rise to the occasions. He's got the weapons to do it. Duke Williams for a full season. Keon Schaefer-Baker has all the makings of being a great receiver. Throw out the Canadian label. If Shaq Evans gets back to 2019 form, look out. Could be the best core in the league. And guys, I feel like we don't talk about enough the defense with the Riders. Led by Jason Chavers, a defensive coordinator who has put his own spin on sort of a Chris Jones system, but other guys that he was coached by as well, Rich Stubler being one of them. They have Charleston Hughes as a pass rush specialist. This was one of the stingiest defenses in the league and has helped Fajardo have that sweet, sweet win-loss record that he has to date. Yeah, and and I'll say this, and you're right about the defense, Dunk. A.C. Leonard, I think, is still underrated in this league somehow. To me, he is the best pass rusher not in Winnipeg at the moment, league-wide. But I'll just say this. The challenges that Cody Fajardo is going to face this year have nothing to do with the physical. For him, it's going to be all about between the ears, and I think the Riders, if they want to put him in a, in a position to be successful, 
need to have things in place, such as he should be working with a sports psychologist. I think he should be having somebody take care of his social media during the season, because if he is not in the right mindset, it does not matter how many practices he has. It does not matter how many times he's out there trying to make throws. He's not going to be as successful as if he has his mental and emotional state in check before the season commences. I just want to give a little example here. I wasn't playing pro football, but the university in Guelph, at the University of Guelph, I was an up and down dude. And at the time, my athletic director, Tom Kendall, did a series of tests with me. And I worked on the mental side of the game. And all of a sudden, we were popping off and put up almost 50 points on the Vanier Cup champs. What ended up being the Vanier Cup champs in 2009, the Queen's University Gale. So I think that's a critical aspect of sports overall. But specifically, in this case, for the riders, that should be worked on. We haven't heard Fajardo talk about it. So I'd be curious to ask him the question, if he's done any of that work there has been a rise in this type of thing russell wilson has made it made famous i guess sort of thing with his mental coach his name's escaping right now it's actually trevor moad and all the success that he had especially early in his career so that's something just a great point that i hope the riders at least looked at and that fajardo took to in the offseason moving east the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have won back-to-back Grey Cup titles. They're looking to become the first team to three-peat since Edmonton did it in the late 70s, early 80s. They lost a few key players, right? They lost Kenny Lawler. They lost Steven Richardson. To me, the biggest one, however, is Andrew Harris because as much as Matt Nichols, you know, Zach Kolaris have had success under center during the last five, six seasons in Winnipeg, the face of that franchise, the heartbeat of that team has been Andrew Harris. Yes, he's 35 years old, but I still think that Andrew Harris has some gas left in the tank. My question is, can Winnipeg overcome the loss of Harris to potentially repeat for a second time as Great Cup champs? Let me answer your question with a question. Uh, do the Winnipeg Blue Bombers still have Stanley Bryant? Yes, <laughs> yes they, they do. Do. <laughs> do they still have Michael Couture? Yes, they do. They still have Patrick Newfeld. Oh, yeah, yeah, they have him too. Jamarcus Hardrick. Oh, he's still in the building. And you've got, you know, two first round picks competing for the other guard spot. They'll be just fine. We saw last year with Brady Oliveira when he had to come in for an injured Andrew Harris that he was capable of carrying the load in the backfield. Johnny Augustine equally capable of carrying the load in the backfield and the running back position. Success is determined by the strength of your offensive line and the strength of your scheme. Nobody is better at it than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Nobody has more talent up front. Nobody is more disciplined in their assignments. I could go behind that Winnipeg offensive line, and I think (laughs) I would average at least a yard of carry, which I would not be able to do anywhere else. So I think the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to do just fine. Yo, to do that, JC, that means you have to get actually a yard over the line of scrimmage. You think you could do that? (laughs) I'm just going to fall forward. That's about it. (laughs) Right. <laughs> Hodge, this is a bit of a skill testing question for you, but when did the Blue Bombers sign Stanley Bryan free agency? What they year? signed him in 2015. Was that the same year as Harris? No, Harris is 2016. Ah, so to me, the key piece of this team that goes under the radar all the time is Bryan because he is way above anybody else in this league playing tackle, it's not even a question. I had one general manager say to me, it's Stanley Bryant, and then it's really everybody else at the left tackle position. I think he has cemented 
his status as one of the best offensive linemen in NFL history. And there are people that have argued the past few years when you've seen other guys like, let's say, Chris Van Zyl win most outstanding lineman award that every year it's just go to Brian. But for some reason in the media, they just get tired of that. And I think there's a definite argument to be made there. Brian should probably have won that award the entire time he was in Calgary, excuse me, in Winnipeg, and even won it when he was with the Stampeders. So that's the critical element to me. Yes, the other starters are solid. The Bombers do have the best offensive line, but it's because they have the best left tackle. I do think, though, that Andrew Harris has a different element to his running style. He's bigger and more physical and a downhill guy compared to Bray Vieira or Johnny Augustine. Augustine is a physical freak. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't have that bulk impact the punch that Harris did at his peak and when he was healthy. So I have some question marks in terms of long range, how Oliveira and Augustine could hold up. Yeah, it's great. You're going to use both of them. But Harris has shown throughout his career, he's been fairly durable outside of 2021. And there was some, you know, back and forth behind the scenes as to whether he actually showed up to training camp last season in proper shape. So I think the Bombers will have a little bit of difficulty without Harris. It can still be successful but there will be more on the plate of Zach Caleros and they don't have a receiver Hodge that scares me to be quite honest, going down the field. I do think the receiving core is an area that I wouldn't say is of concern. I think it's probably fair to say it took a little bit of a step back uh, from last season when Kenny Lawler led the league in receiving. The one thing I'll say, I, I do think they'll be fine at running back provided that they rotate Brady Oliveira and Johnny Augustine. I don't want to see a situation like Andrew Harris where it was 25 touches a game. I think the Bombers would be much better served if Brady and Johnny were both getting, let's say, 12 touches a game. I think they have different skill sets, and by rotating them, you can make the most of them. To me, the question I have is with leadership. Winnipeg has, I think, a very tight clubhouse, possibly the tightest locker room in the CFL, but removing the top of that pyramid, I do think is something that, again, not of concern. I think that'd be overstating it, but I want to see who helps fill that vacuum of leadership because there's no denying that Andrew Harris was a huge part of that leadership core last season. And since frankly, he signed a Winnipeg from the BC Lions. All right, let's go to Ontario where the team that faced Winnipeg in the past two great cups, the Hamilton Tiger Cats now have an unquestioned number one quarterback in Dane Evans, but Will that be too much for Evans to handle? This is something I've been asking people around the league. I've talked to some people who have worked closely with Dane Evans, and their answer pretty much unanimously is Dane is going to be just fine. Obviously, it's nice to have a security blanket and an MOP caliber player like Jeremiah Masoli. However, Evans is not a rookie anymore. I believe this is his fourth year in the CFL. This is his third season starting a large chunk of games. The people I've talked to seem to think that Dane Evans is going to be just fine. I think Hamilton's defense is still going to get takeaways. The receiving core doesn't have as many big names in it, but I'm not convinced it's not even better from last year. Steven Dunbar, Tim White, you know, these are guys who are going to be having, you know, arguably have already had breakout seasons, but I think would be breaking out even more in 2022. Plus Don Jackson, I thought really brought a very exciting element to that offense once he got the starting role at running back last year. So I personally do not have concerns about Dane Evans taking the lead in Hamilton. I think he's ready for this role. The answer to 
Dane Evans' success, I think, lies along the offensive line because you've talked about all the weapons that he has on offense. Arguably, I think you could you could say that Hamilton has perhaps the most weapons of any team. And I think Saskatchewan would give you a run for their, your money with, with that receiving core. But I really like the group of offensive skill position that Hamilton has put together. But we still have questions at left tackle. Travis Vorncall is going to start there this year. He was fine in the few games he played last year. And then at right tackle, Chris Van Zyl is still an outstanding player, one of the top tackles in the league. But how how long can he stay healthy? Because the last few years, that's been a concern. And if he misses a large chunk of games, that's going to either fall to Kyle Saxlid, who they've just brought in, or to Kay Okafor. And how those guys perform is really going to determine how successful Dane Evans can be because he's not as mobile as Jeremiah Masoli was. He can't escape and create uh, like the, the former MOP candidate can. He's more of a pocket guy, and if that pocket collapses, it's going to be awful hard to get the ball to those weapons. I do have some concerns about Evans being the number one guy because we've never seen it. He's always had Jeremiah Masoli there, even if it was Masoli on the sidelines in 2019 when Evans helped take over that juggernaut of a team that won the Grey Cup that year. I'm not saying I'm questioning his mechanics or his mindset or anything like that, but it's totally different when you're the guy. And for the team overall, they can't bounce back and forth. And it was only just, I guess it was over a year ago, but when the Ticats coming out of training camp named Jeremiah Masoli their quarterback, and then now they've decided, or it was in the offseason, to go with Evans. So that flip is very intriguing to me. We're never, ever, ever going to get the true answer on the record from Orlando Steinauer as to why they chose Evans over Masoli. And I'm sure Sean Burke, essentially the former assistant GM there, who's now the GM with the Ottawa Red Blacks, was very happy that they did not choose Masoli because he could be a total difference maker for that franchise in Ottawa. So I just want to see Evans earn it and prove that he can be a number one dude week in and week out as the guy in the CFL. He did it for a good chunk in 2019, but he didn't necessarily have to play spectacular football. And then last year, you know, he had an injury and he did come in and provide a spark, but they had to win a couple games with David Watford. Like I think the most valuable guy in this offense, to be honest, is the one in the booth and Tom Condell with the way that he's been able to scheme it up for Jeremiah Masoli, Dane Evans, or even David Watford last year, who they won a couple of ball games with for a guy that really didn't have much time as a CFL quarterback starting experience, that is. So to me, that's a critical question that needs to be answered. No, the defense is going to be loaded. And I think Simone Lawrence is going to have another great season again. They do have a question mark there, though, in terms of Jaguar Davis being gone. And that void to fill is a massive one because some people argue he's the best pass rusher in the league, but we know they're going to be really good on D. It's just how good can Evans be? And honestly, yeah, Stephen Dunbar and Tim White seem really great, but they're not the perennial thousand-yard guys that Brandon Banks was who they let go down the road to the Toronto Argos. All right, boys, let's go down that street. In Toronto, are the Argonauts in win-now mode, especially with those veteran additions, Andrew Harris and Brandon Banks on offense? Well, I think you got to throw Jagera Davis into the mix as well. The Argos went out and they got three of the CFL's oldest impact players 
I'm excited to see what these guys have left in the tank. The, this, I think, has made Toronto the CFL's oldest team. I don't know if they get deals at the grocery store now, you know, specific <laughs> sales, discounts kind of thing. But, you know, Brandon Banks, I thought, did not look like his old self last season in 2021. I thought he took a step back. Andrew Harris, I think, looked like his old self when he was healthy, but he also started the season on the injured list, which we hadn't traditionally seen from Andrew Harris. Ja'Garrett Davis was amazing in the playoffs. It was an unbelievable game wrecker for the Ticats, but I didn't think he was that great, honestly, in the regular season. So I think all three players, to some extent, have shown initial signs of slowing down. If those continue into 2022, I think Toronto's in a lot of trouble. If not, and they can, can they can continue to roll, I really think that Toronto has a good chance to even win the East Division. Because certainly with these type of additions, with a guy like McLeod Bethel-Thompson, a quarterback who's well into his mid-30s, yes, I absolutely see this team as a win-now type of team, given just how veteran-laden that starting lineup is. The key factor is going to be when those guys are able to be at their peak in the season, because you know that for each of them, it wasn't a full 14 game plus playoff perfect campaign last year. Each of them had significant valleys where we saw them drop off and significant peaks. Now, if they peak early and they flash in the first few weeks of the season, everyone's talking about Toronto and then all of a sudden they drop off. This team could be in trouble. If the Argos are, you know, a middling regular season team and they peak towards the end of the year. Now, all of a sudden, this is a dangerous team going into the playoffs. My real concern here about this Toronto Argonauts team is at quarterback, because I don't know how you can say you're in win now mode and have McLeod Bethel Thompson still as your starting quarterback. He's absolutely fine, but he's a stop stopgap bridge guy. He is not a franchise starting quarterback who can get you over the hump and dominate a game. He has not shown that in any of his previous action. He's shown himself to be completely adequate. Fine. Wow. That's it. And if you are in win now mode, you need a guy who can take over a game and be a dominant player. Macbeth is not that guy. JC, you're putting the sword right in Macbeth's heart, buddy. <laughs> oh my gosh. To be I or not honestly, to be. <laughs> Macbeth is underrated in my mind. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's gone through. He's been so many professional teams in the NFL and the Arena League and now the CFL. And I do think he's definitely an above average quarterback, but he's just not flashy or sexy. I think that's why you're throwing shade his way in the six, but I think he's a guy who can win with. He proved it last year. He led the Argos to first place in the East division during the regular season. Did they win in the playoffs? No. Do you want to see him act better after a loss, especially with that incident with the cameraman? Yes. He needs to mature even at his age. We can all get better. None of us are perfect. So I believe if he takes some of those steps, he's a guy that is respected as a leader in that locker room because he doesn't talk very much. He's more of a leader by example. And I think with those weapons there, it's going to make him better if, as you guys said, the caveat is key. Those dudes are healthy with Harris and Banks and the rest of the guys that he has there. I feel like Tavares Daniels is another guy that goes under the radar. The defense has been solid and with Corey Mace there as a new defense coordinator I think that should help they still have Enoch Mwamba who's somehow still playing 
at a high level. And I think the Argos have to start the season as the favorites in the East Division. What really intrigues me about this team is Chad Kelly. The fact that they let Antonio Pipkin go so early in training camp and are rolling with this guy's their number two must mean Ryan Dinwiddie has a man crush on Mr. Kelly. Yes, I think Chad Kelly is viewed exceptionally highly in Toronto and so much so that I think he the at least the Argos might be of the opinion that Kelly is that future elite quarterback that JC alluded to while taking a massive massive crap all over Cloud <laughs> a moment ago. Uh, I, I think that Chad Kelly has shown some interesting flashes of the preseason. It's too early to anoint him as anything, but I will say I would not be surprised. It would probably have to take an injury, but I wouldn't be surprised if just like Trey Ford in Edmonton, if we saw Chad Kelly start a game for the Argos in 2022, especially considering this is, of course, an 18-game regular season, much more of a marathon than last year that felt a little bit more like a sprint due to the shortened schedule. Like I, I hope McLeod Bethel Thompson proves me wrong, but he's the CFL's Andy Dalton to me. That's what he is. He's the benchmark for a- average quarterbacking, right? If you have less than McLeod Bethel Thompson, you're a franchise in trouble. You're going to be drafting first overall, right? He is a guy who can get it done for you. I just don't think he can push you over the top. We're about to find out. Is it because you're such a Chad Kelly fan, JC? You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of Chad Kelly's cockiness. He's not my style of dude, but I do think he is incredibly talented. And I think if he can take over this Argos team, they'll be better off in the long run. We're going to find out. Let's go to the nation's capital in Ottawa. Can all these Red Blacks that have been assembled in free agency with you know, new coaches there? It's not a new staff, but I mean, they're all getting together for the first time. Paul Apolis and Jeremiah Masoli being the two key names. Can they come together quickly enough to put the Red Blacks back in the playoffs? I think they absolutely will be a playoff team this season. I really do. Woo. I think that Ottawa... I mean, they're, they're going to roll into Winnipeg week one with, I think it's going to be at least 16 new starters. It could be as high as 20. We'll have to wait and see for Thursday when the depth charts come out. But this is a team that has basically remade itself from top to bottom, and rightfully so, because talent-wise, they were by far and away the worst team in the CFL in in 2021 i think if you take that talent that they've got and you put it with that coaching staff we know that paul apolis could do a great job scheming up on offense mike benavides has been doing a great job on the defensive side of the ball in this league for a long long time and bob dice might be the best special teams coordinator in the cfl so they've got the coaching staff what was missing last season was the talent like they fixed that will there be some time to gel i think so but let's be honest nobody expects ottawa to beat winnipeg in either of these first two weeks. So even if they can somehow squeak out a split, all of a sudden at 500, I think a lot of people will be buying into Ottawa. There's going to be a lot of confidence in that organization. And then they're off to the races because they don't have to worry about playing the two-time defending Great Cup champs again after that. So yes, I do see Ottawa in the postseason this year. There are going to be some growing pains as there always are with newly assembled teams. But this Ottawa Redblacks group gives me shades of the 2015 team when they went from the basement in their first expansion season all the way to the penthouse as the best team in the East Division. And I don't just think this is a team that can make the playoffs. I think that's a virtually guaranteed looking at the rosters 
around the league. I think this is a team that that should be considered the favorites to win the East Division. I think they're better than the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I think they're better than the Toronto Argonauts. Now, it could all fall apart because we're working with so many different variables as this group comes together. But on paper, I love the talent that Sean Burke has brought into the building. And I think this Ottawa Redbacks team is about to be a great cup competitor. The talent is really unquestionable, but the fact that they just have not been together gives me pause. I certainly think they can make the playoffs. That's well within their reach. But you mentioned those two other teams, JC, the Argos and the Top Cats. Those staffs have been together longer. You know, the quarterbacks have been with their offensive coordinators, are familiar with those systems. And it's going to be all new as they go through this process with Lapalise and Masoli. I think that's really the key. And also, to be honest, on offense, I don't know if they have a playmaker that scares me. Again, kind of going back to what I said about Winnipeg, Jalen Acklin is a great young receiver, but he doesn't have that vertical threat speed to go over the top. He can beat you over the top. He's not going to do it like a Brandon Banks or a Lucky Whitehead. So I certainly think they'll be competitive. They'll be in the playoff mix. I do see them making the playoffs. I think they can be more consistent, especially than the Montreal Alouettes, and that should be enough to get them into that third spot, you know, without probably much trouble or competition of a crossover spot from one of the teams in the West, you know, probably BC or Edmonton. So I think they're in the playoffs, but there's a lot of pieces that got to come together. That said, we saw pretty recently in 2017, the Argos didn't even have a GM or a head coach until what, the end of February or early March, and they somehow pulled it off and win a great cup. So it is possible. I agree with you, Dunk. I would like to see a true number one target in this offense. I think they've got a couple of twos. Darvin Adams is a two. Jalen Acklin is a two. Um, I think Levina Wells underrated, but he's probably a three, right? Uh, so I, I agree. I'd like to see a one, but does this team have more weapons than it did a year ago? Yes, by a long shot. And I, I do see them in the postseason, though I'm not sure they're going to go as far as to potentially repeat 2015 and make it all the way to the Great Cup. All right, we've gone all the way across this beautiful country of ours, gentlemen. We're finally at our final stop in Montreal, where Kahari Jones, despite, I think, doing a very nice job of coaching this team over the last two seasons, is potentially in a position where he is fighting for his job. To talk to people around the league, there's a sense that Danny Machocha, the team's general manager, wants to wear the headset on the sideline. And Kahari Jones, right after... You know, an early playoff exit last year, you know, having his team lead the league in penalties. I, you know, there's a sense that if this team does not get off to a hot start, Jones could be in trouble. My question is can Jones find a way to keep his job in 2022 in La Belle Provence? I hope he does because I really like Kahari Jones as a coach and as a person, but the odds are stacked against him this season. I think the Alouettes are a fine football team. They're better than some of the teams in the West division. But if you look at the East and this is a stacked schedule this year, where teams are playing more within their division than ever before. I just don't know how the Alouettes are going to be a dominant team facing all the tough competition from Hamilton, Toronto and Ottawa. There's going to be some early losses. There's going to be a a struggle to make the playoffs. And given all the, rumors circulating around that building and what Danny Machocha wants to do, it'll be awfully hard for Kahari Jones to survive any sort of 
bottom tier finish, even if that means they they cross over to the West or something like that and lose their first playoff game. It's difficult to see Kahari Jones keeping his job if this is not, you know, a, a division winning competitive team. Let's look at some things here as to why Kari Jones is on the hot seat. All right. Doesn't necessarily have to do with his record because as a head coach, he's gotten the Alouettes into the playoffs two years in a row after they missed the postseason. But I think it was like a franchise record for maybe even five years. So it really doesn't necessarily have to do with his record or his ability as a head coach. It has to do with politics. Case in point, one of Kari Jones' best friends on the entire planet. Robert Flash Gordon, a guy that he played with, you know this well, in Winnipeg, Hodge. He was, say, forced, but Robert Gordon's no longer on that coaching staff. And those receivers had great seasons, not just good, great seasons in 2021. And Jones is forced to let one of his best friends on the entire planet go. Where do you think that's coming from? Above in Danny Machocha, because he's setting up the pieces for either him go down and take the headset as Hodge alluded to, or for himself to bring in his own guy, because we got to remember Machocha was hired after Jones. The other thing that people need to understand is that Kahari Jones is tied to Vernon Adams Jr. Danny Machocha is clearly Trevor Harris. That's his type of quarterback. It's closer to what Ricky Ray was when he was in Edmonton, Machocha, I'm talking about with Ray. I'm not saying Trevor Harris is Ricky Ray, but I'm saying in terms of styles and the way they play the game, that's what Machocha likes in his quarterback. So those are just a couple of examples as to why Jones is on the hot seat. It has nothing really to do with his record. It's all about politics. Football is a business, and ultimately sometimes it can get a little messy, and that's what Jones is dealing with. And ultimately, the rest of the team also – what Adams Jr. is trying to deal with is having a proven quarterback behind him for the first time since he's been the guy in Montreal. Matthew Schiltz was an up-and-comer, but he wasn't a guy that would have worried Adams Jr. Because every time he was healthy, Vernon Adams Jr. was going to play. Of course, he had a great 2019 season and got hurt last year, which ended his campaign and ultimately led to the trading for Harris and what people thought was a rental. But they re-sign him, and he's right there. There are people that think Harris could start early on the season if Adams Jr. struggles. And I hate saying it, and as much as he was getting after me on Twitter about it, Adams Jr. voicing his frustrations, or should I say tweeting his frustrations, takes you inside his mind. And I don't necessarily know if he's equipped to deal with this situation with Harris behind him. Harris is older, he's more mature in my mind, and he's used to being in these situations. Heck, he was behind Henry Burris and Ottawa patiently waited and got his chance and took Ottawa to multiple great cups. So I think that situation is one of the more intriguing ones to monitor across the country. And also the dynamic be between Machocha and Jones. And Machocha very much has the ear of the president, Mario Cicchini there, and also the owner of Gary Stern. So he's going to have the ultimate say in what happens with Jones. Yeah, I think if you're looking at a team where we could see big changes made early, I think Montreal it should be at the top of that list. They're the team that I could see overhauling things uh, sooner than I think anybody else, right? Edmonton and BC just went through a lot of change. Um, Ottawa obviously just remade that whole team. Uh, Montreal, I think, if they don't get off to a good start, is that team. The good news for, for Montreal is I don't think their schedule is daunting coming out of the gate. It's not easy, but it's not daunting 
we'll see how she goes. Boys, I think that's just about it. Do we have any final thoughts to share? One thing I will say is it's a betting world now in Canada. You want to make some money, the first head coach prop to be fired? <laughs> I'll put some ducats down on Kahari Jones. Damn. I'm just glad that we finally get to watch some real regular season football after a tumultuous offseason. Once again, we get to do what we are, what we love to do, and that is cover actual football games, cover the actual storylines that are happening, the players who shine, the players that falter. All of it is what we really want to do. No more talk of labor disputes. No more talk of fourth downs. No more talks of the XFL or anything like that. We are just focused on football, and I could not be more happy. In a well, way, no this... more talk of four downs until we pose the question to Randy Ambrosi. If we ever get him, to <laughs> now I'm done. The uh, in a way, this does feel like the first CFL season since, like the real CFL season since 2019. I'm very fortunate. We're very thankful, fortunate, obviously, that we got a season last year. But you know, there there were half half full stadiums with COVID protocols, COVID protocols, changing this, that, and the other thing for members of the media, right? Players, you know, all kinds of regulations. It did not feel like a normal season. This feels like the first real normal, you know, back to what we all know and love with this league since 2019. I'm excited for it. I'm sure our listeners are excited for it. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you next Wednesday for another episode where we break down week one of the regular season. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.